<laughs> that was kind of weird, but hey, week 17, we, excuse me, week 18. 18. We will improvise and adapt and overcome to that. Uh, you know what? This was a lucky 13 for the Kansas City Chiefs as they reeled off their 13th straight win in the 28-24 outcome against the Denver Broncos. A lot to unpack here. Chiefs are now 12-5. and five. Obviously, we can shift focus to the playoffs. Playoffs? I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Sam McDowell. Sam, how you doing, man? Good, man. Let's do this. And also Pete Grathoff joins us, the, the incomparable Pete Grathoff. How you doing, Pete? Hey, I was wondering if I was going to get esteemed, but I'll take incomparable. Okay, you're esteemed. Well, you know, because the esteemed one, Vahe, is, will join us here shortly as he finishes up his column. But let's jump right into this, guys, because I know everyone wants to know, okay, the Chiefs are in the postseason. What did this win do for them today, Sam? Let's take it started off with you. What did they do for them? Well, we should give these people the uh, the behind the scenes, Herbie, that you and I are on the la- on the phone for the last ten minutes trying to figure out exactly what it means for them. Um, <laughs> we know right now they are the number two seed in the AFC. They need the Titans to lose tomorrow in order to get the number one seed in the AFC. Most likely scenario, since the Titans are playing the Texans, is that the Texans lose that game. The Titans win. They get the number one seed. The Chiefs are number two, so they'd have to play on AFC wildcard weekend for the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career. Who they will play is just completely up for grabs, mixed mixed bag. And that's why, Herbie, you and I were on the phone is because it's most likely the Colts or the Chargers, and I think most likely the Chargers. Um, But they technically could still play the Steelers. They technically could still play the Bills. They technically could still play the the Patriots. Um, So just a lot of stuff at play tomorrow. And, you know, as, as much as I prefer covering NFL games on Sunday, the one advantage to covering a game on Saturday is we just get to sit back and watch what happens and then decide at the end of the night who the Chiefs are playing. Pete, Sam there just laid out all the scenarios. You've also written a lot about the scenarios. Well, quickly chime in here on what Sam uh, discussed there as, as to some of the likely candidates the Chiefs could face, given all these crazy scenarios at play tomorrow. I think Sam's right. It's going to be probably the Colts or the Chargers. Uh, you know, I think the game to watch will be that Colts game at noon. I mean, in addition to the Titans, the Titans are blowing them out and the Colts win and the Colts are playing at Jacksonville. So there's a high likelihood of that. Then that's going to set up that winner take all game to decide who the chiefs play. And uh, that if, if the Chargers win, that'll be the Chargers. If the Raiders win, then it'll be the uh, Colts. So yeah, I think it's a good day, like Sam said. You know, grab the popcorn and watch all the fun tomorrow because something funky is going to happen last speaking Sunday of some, regular season. You know, yeah, the, one, speaking, the, one team they, the one team they can't play that, that's funny because they're they're sitting in the seventh seed right now is, is the Raiders. Um, mm-hmm. The Raiders hold the tiebreaker over the Colts, so if those two teams end up tied, the Raiders get the six. If the Raiders lose, they're out. So they can't – that's the one team of this, like, whole mess that they can't play is I think – the team that they would like to play the most. Um, you know, the Raiders is a team that the Chiefs have dominated twice this year. So you look at the matchups and you think that that's a team that they get in the playoffs. The Chiefs would really want to face. And it's the one team of this whole group that we've talked about that they cannot play in that first round. Yeah. And we mentioned ideal, um, a potential ideal opponent, Sam, in your opinion, you know, given all these teams, you, you mentioned the Raiders and obviously, you know, that that's a scenario that might not play out, but when you look at some of these teams, who do you think lines up well 
for the Chiefs. You know, this is the this is the opponent that you want to see them face in that opening round of the playoffs. Well, it's the one that's the least likely, and that's if somehow the Steelers get in, um, which would require a, a Colts loss, um, and then the, the, the Steelers winning. I, I don't see that combination happening. So with the realistic scenarios, you know, if the Chargers and Colts are the two most likely, the Chargers have given the Chiefs fits. Um, so they've faced the Chiefs three times with Justin Herbert. The Chiefs needed that wild game in L.A. last year where Harrison Bucker had to kick a field goal in overtime about eight times to win that game. Um, they needed overtime to beat them this year. And, oh, by the way, they lost to the Chargers once this year. So I think the Chargers would be a particularly difficult matchup. Uh, the Colts run the ball a lot. I know that scares some people. Fewer possessions in a game is always a, a, a good thing for the underdog. Um, the Chiefs had a lot of trouble stopping the run today in Denver. So that's a difficult matchup as well. And that's so, sort of the overarching theme to this playoffs as a whole for me, which is the AFC is deeper than it has been the last two years when the Chiefs have gone to the Super Bowl. No matter who it's going to be, again, unless it's that crazy scenario where the Steelers get in, I think the Chiefs are going to have a really tough opponent in AFC wildcard weekend. Of course, Titans could lose tomorrow, and the Chiefs could end up playing nobody next weekend. <laughs> and that's a scenario that so many people are really, truly open for right now. And we do now welcome the esteemed, Vahe Gregorian. Vahe, welcome to the show, man. We're over here going over all the playoff scenarios. <laughs> Glad to be on. And uh, it's funny, I, you know, our, our audience may not know that we sometimes write uh, our own headlines and stuff now for the digital version. I, and, of course, we only write the ones you like. Uh, other people write the ones you don't. Um, but I, I was trying to put a, one of the headlines on there, and I, I, I came up with this notion that no matter where the Chiefs are seated, they're a wild card because it's a little hard to know what we're going to get with them. I, I, that's sort of what I tried to write about, too. I mean, on one hand, they, they came through today, and, and they, you know, it's the old make plays when you have to and find ways to win. On the other hand, um, <laughs> that was a pretty spectacular play, at first time, Melvin Ingram was forced to fumble this season. First NFL recovery for Nick Bolton. Don't have that every day. Um, you can look at that so many different ways. Uh, at my hunch is it says a lot of good stuff about kind of the makeup of this team, but it also is a reminder that there's just so many X factors. And that's a fantastic point, Vahe, because remember last week at this time, we were talking about how we weren't too concerned about the Chiefs' loss to the Bengals. This barely win against the Denver Broncos, what does that do now for your alarm factor? How concerned are you based on what we saw today? Well, I mean, you know, it, this, this is maybe a silly place to go, but uh, I like the idea of parallel universes. I'd like to have seen this game if, uh, if um, Zane Anderson hadn't um, roughed the kicker. I really think that the trajectory of this game was going a totally different place. On the other hand, um, you know, they were free to play defense after that. And, you know, that's sort of a, a gut check in itself if you don't, you know, stand tall when you have something bad happen. So there, there's some things in that that are, are that make you wonder. Um, I, I think that it's interesting to think about how little they had Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, basically down to their, their two best running backs most of the day. Uh, but but that also enabled McCole Hardman to have, I think, a career day. And I, I don't know if you talked about this yet, but I know Sam McDowell was going to explore that a little bit. And maybe that's the sort of way they got better today. Sam, you, 
McCall Hartman did have a career day, his first ever 100-yard receiving as a pro. What did you see out of him today that, that leads you to believe that he is or he has now officially taken the next step? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a long-awaited day for McCall Hartman. You know, we've, we've seen McCall Hartman make big plays. We've seen him score big touchdowns. We haven't seen him be this consistently involved in the offense over the full course of a game. I mean, it's the first time he's – I was shocked when, when they said it was his first 100-yard game just because we've seen him have 60-yard touchdowns in the past, and you thought, oh, we've probably got 40 more yards in that game. Um, but, you know, it, it was funny, first of all, finding out that McCall Hartman didn't even know. He seemed to be the last guy on earth to find out that Tyreek Hill was <laughs> going to be limited today. Uh, <laughs> finds out before kickoff, and and he steps right into that. He said he felt like a, a switch had flipped at that moment. And the way I phrase it, it, it seems like that switch has been sort of stuck in neutral for a long time. The Chiefs have been waiting for this step. I mean, Herbie, how many times did you and I hear in training camp how McCall Hardman was was prepared to take the next step? He was going to be that number two receiver. And it just hasn't materialized to the point to where, Herbie, you were right earlier, what, three weeks ago, about McCall Hardman getting nine snaps in a game. And by the way, that was the last time they played the Broncos, that he was only on the field for nine snaps. <laughs> and so I, I think they've been waiting on his development beyond just the wide receiver who can run by people. And we saw him get his punt return role stripped because he's indecisive back there. They like the fact that Mike Hughes just gets it and goes. And that was the element of McCall Hardman we saw today is he just got it and went. Um, 99 of his 103 yards were after the catch. Um, so it wasn't like he was being put in great spots as far as, you know, he's wide open deep and therefore he's going to get a bunch of chunk yards. He was doing most of the work himself. And so there are signs that that stuff can carry over, and those are obvious step forwards from the McCall Hardman we've seen most of the year. But you got to couch all that and say it was one game today in Denver. Yeah, once is a fluke, twice or more is a habit, right? That's what we all like to say all the time. You know, if you're going to do it once, let's see it carry over. But when we talk about this Chiefs team, I know like some of us may have raised our collective eyebrows when we saw what was happening on the field today. Pete, what stood out to you the most about this game? I think it's the need of the defense getting turnovers. I mean, you look the last – they didn't get one last week against the Bengals, and, you know, they ended up losing that game. And I think they had something like 24 turnovers created in the 10 games before that. And I'm telling you, it was going south quickly there. If the Broncos put that ball in the end zone, it would have put a lot of pressure on the offense to score. Uh, I just think that was a big, big play, and it just highlighted to me that – this defense is at its best when it's creating turnovers. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Vahe, you mentioned the the Nick Bolton play, and um, and and then Sam also touched about teams that the Chiefs are having issues, might have issues uh, against the run. Three of the last four games for the Chiefs, Vahe, the, the Chiefs have allowed 130 more yards rushing. Now, granted, they've won you know three of the four, but is this a recipe for success? And, and you've covered the NFL for a while, and also Sam. Client. Vahe, you're a former Division One college football player. 
<laughs> How concerned should we be when you see this this big trend all of a sudden rearing its head? I got two things I want to say. First of all, I want to double down on your what was it? Once is a <laughs> once is a fluke, twice or more is a habit. Okay, the one I heard from a wise newspaper man is that twice is a coincidence and three times is a trend story. So um, three times is, is is a little problematic and, and makes you wonder. Um, I'm a little distracted, too, by this uh, ongoing reference to the, uh, the glory days at the University of Pennsylvania. But I do want you to know that I'm actually in the College Football Hall of Fame because it turns out that if you ever even put on a uniform, you could print out a certificate saying that you were uh, <laughs> you belong to the College Football Hall of Fame. Sorry, I've had too much caffeine. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Chiefs' inability all of a sudden, their inability to stop the run. Like today, the, the Broncos, 191 yards rushing, three touchdowns, two coming from Drew Locke. How alarming is this when you go into the postseason? Well, I, I do think it's it's a concern. And, you know, what comes with that, it's pretty obvious. But, I mean, there was about a six, seven-week period where I thought I thought they were really tackling well. I, th- I thought they, uh, they – the numbers may not bear this out, but I thought the um, – uh, much fewer yards after after contact. I mean, I thought – I just thought they were – they were very effective with the tackling. And – now you're seeing some combination of missed tackles, but also room to roam. Um, you know, and I don't think they really were prepared for as much running as Drew Locke did. I, I suppose that was, you know, muzzled a little bit in the second half. But, uh, you know, Drew had never had a longer run than 16 yards before today in the NFL. And he just kind of weaved all through them for that 23-yard TD. So, look, I mean, it, it's it's it, it's a little worrisome. Um on the other hand, uh, you know they've they've had a lot of a lot of good defensive games this year. It's just not how you want to be trending when when you're at this stage. Yeah, you Sam, know, your I mean, thoughts on that? I, go ahead. Yeah, I mean over the over the last month, I mean you know prior to that month arriving, we had been talking about this defensive turnaround that happened so abruptly midseason, and every game had sort of an excuse for why somebody said it was yeah, but. So they, they played well against the Giants. Yeah, but it's Daniel Jones. They played well against the, the Packers. Yeah, but Aaron Rodgers was missing. Played well against the Cowboys. Yeah, but, you know, CeeDee Lamb got hurt in that game. Amari Cooper wasn't playing. The left tackle was out. So every single game you, you, you thought, I'd like to see it against this team for this reason. And now for four straight weeks, you mentioned, Herbie, three of those games they've given up 130 yards rushing. That's concerning. The other game was last week against the Bengals which I think we'd all agree is their worst defensive outing since this midseason turnaround. They gave up 445 yards passing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, they've sort of had to – they've been in this element of having to pick their poison a little bit rather than a team that can do both things well. You know, Vahe mentions Drew Locke's running. That came because the Chiefs were playing man-to-man defense. There's some scenes that are created – when you play man-to-man defense, guys have their backs turned to the ball. It's easier for a quarterback to scramble. We've seen Patrick Mahomes take advantage of that. So what did the Chiefs do? They played a lot of zone in the second half. The Broncos found a lot of openings against the zone, mostly in the flats and those short passes that they were playing two soft cushions. And, again, it goes back to my original point where the Chiefs are sorting that, had to pick one or the other, and they're not in a spot right now where I think they feel real comfortable that they're stopping everything well. 
they've got to get that pass rush going because that solves all those problems. And I think, like, look, Brian brings up a good point. The elephant in the room today was the field conditions. They they didn't look sure-footed early. I, I think that's just, you could say the same for both teams. I, I thought that field, the field turf looked just horrendous out there. Um, for example, when Joe Tooney was pancaked, that was not his fault because his left foot just 100% gave out under him, and, and so he was bull rushed. Pete, you were watching the game. What, what was your take on uh, – what they were saying potentially about the field conditions. Why did it look like that? Why was it that bad? Well, Andy talked a little bit after the game about it. Uh, just just the, the moisture and the temperature together kind of combined to make it bad. And he said they replaced some turf at midfield, um, if I understood that right. And yeah, uh, Between the hashes along the whole field, I think, is what he meant. But it was a little bit vague. Yeah, so – who knows what, what that was like, newer turf that was in there that caused those problems. Uh, that, that seems like that was part of it. And I think it was a little more wet than we thought it was just watching on TV. Uh, I think there might, you know, moisture in the air. And when the temperature drops like that, just like here in Kansas City today, I mean, it wasn't really raining, but it was wet everywhere, right, with that fog. And, uh, I, you know, one interesting thing about that is they, they apparently did put, some of the players at least put different spikes in because Bolton said, he nearly fell because he had the different spi- uh, spikes in, right, in his cleats there. And uh, when he got around midfield, but he managed to keep his footing and score that touchdown. And Sam Sam probably had the tweet of the day, and I noticed everybody else started copying you, Sam. But Sam was the originator on this one, and he said, was there a Shakira concert yeah. <laughs> last night? So how many people get that reference? I mean, as soon as I saw it, I, just, I couldn't help but start laughing. But Sam, kudos. <laughs> It was a deep call to the Mexico City game that got canceled. And then a year later, th- this actually did remind me of the Mexico City game that was played. Because remember, they went back there the next year. And you just assume, well, the field's certainly going to be in great condition this year. And I, I can remember LDT telling one of our former colleagues that the field was horrible. <laughs> and it was unsafe to play in. I thought, th- I thought the field looked unsafe. As much as it actually affected the game, I just I just thought it was unsafe. Um, and I, to be frank, I thought it was inexcusable for an NFL field to be in that sort of condition because you know what weather conditions you're anticipating. You know what the field needs to be for guys to be on it. And, you know, Andy Reid answered your question, Herbie, about the spikes, which is they had to change them pregame. I mean, it was that obvious pregame that that's when they had to make those adjustments. And you can make those adjustments to get better footing – but the side effect is what Pete mentioned, which is that sometimes you're going to lose your footing when you're trying to run full speed, too. And that almost happened to Nick Bolton on that play. And imagine how different this conversation could be if Nick Bolton trips up at the 50-yard line because of the field conditions. And, Vahe, I have to tap into your former athlete experience here. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> but this is perfect. This is a perfect lead into that. How often, you know, going back to your days, how often did you check the field conditions and how often did you have to change your cleats? This, this, this is a thing now. This is going to be a we, thing. On every this show. really is a thing. And, you know, believe it or not, we played on a, a AstroTurf at Franklin Field. And uh, my freshman year, um, back, this was long enough ago that there was a freshman team. I, uh, I snagged my ankle on the AstroTurf and broke it in three places and tore two ligaments and dislocated it. I did not get faster from that. Um, And uh, so 
I, I would, if, I'm sure I paid attention to various turfs, but I wasn't, let's be clear, I wasn't getting out there on the turf very much. This, that, that, first of all, that sounds way more like user error than a cleat issue. <laughs> Actually, the user error was the poor quarterback who was supposed to be uh, pump faking for an out and up and uh, didn't pump fake. And he came to the hospital every day to tell me he was sorry. <laughs> <laughs> This is an interesting comment here from Rob. Defense can't dictate the game. They don't have enough playmakers. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because we certainly saw a guy that the Chiefs signed or traded for uh, at the trade deadline. And I'm talking obviously about Melvin Ingram. He's been a playmaker. You know, he may not show up in the stats, but my goodness, when he does show up in the stats, he's making impact plays. He was the one who knocked the ball loose from Melvin Gordon that allowed – Nick Bolton to scoop and, and score on that play. But I think, like, when you look at this Chiefs defense, yes, they had their issues today, but playmakers, I would say Melvin Ingram is, so far, that's a solid a trade for them. How, how many of you all would agree with that? Yeah, and I, I'm just chiming in real quick and respectfully, at least semi-disagree with Rob, that um, I feel like they didn't have many playmakers today. Um, but I feel like they've got five, six guys that, I mean, and, you know, Chris Jones and Frank Clark are capable of that. Melvin Ingram has provided that. Legereus Sneed, we've seen it from. And, you know, I'm building up to Tyron Matthew here. And, and, and obviously, let's see what Nick Bolton did. All those guys can make game-changing plays, I think. Um, I did not notice much of Chris Jones and Frank Clark today, to be honest. And I, I, the times I did see Legereus Sneed, it, was, um, it seemed to be he was a step behind and not having a great game. But I, I, I can't quantify that. Um, I, I don't know how you guys saw them, but I but I think they all have and, and others have big playmaking capabilities. Well, I mean, big big plays come down to turnovers to me. And Pete referenced that stat earlier that their win streak has been facilitated by turnovers. But I go back to it: turnovers come because your pass rush is there. The quarterback's got to make a quicker decision. He makes a bad decision. Often he fumbles the ball, and the pass rush has not been there as as consistently as it needed to be for the past three halves. It was there in the first half against Cincinnati. The Bengals have a really bad offensive line. I didn't think they got home enough in the second half. Burrow had too much time to throw. And then today, I didn't think they pressured Drew Locke as nearly as often as they needed to to affect that game. Yeah, the only Drew Locke was only sacked once, and that obviously came from defensive tackle Derek Nottie, and he was only hit twice today. And I see a lot of people pointing out there in the comments how, how Chris Jones lost out on a million dollars. He was sitting on nine sacks. One sack would have given them ten. Uh, for the million bucks. But, you know, back to the point here, Pete, how much do you agree with that, that the Chiefs don't have enough playmakers uh, right now? I think I kind of agree with uh, football star Vahe that they've got playmakers, but today they didn't really, I, I don't know, they didn't really show up or whatever you want to say. The pass rush was not nearly good enough. And like you mentioned, Chris Jones, you would think anybody would be motivated to get to lock today it would be him. And I don't really even remember seeing him much. Uh, maybe I missed something there that you guys saw. So, you know, I think in the NFL, it's, it's hard to be how many teams can say they've got like defensive playmakers. This is such an offensive driven league that it's, it's tough to be a great defensive player game in and game out and make an impact on a game. I think. We mentioned, I will say this though. When you look at the defensive day against Drew Locke, uh, one thing that that kind of also made my eyebrows pop up, and this is carrying over from last week's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. 
Uh, Tim Patrick, their wide receiver, had a 31-yard reception. Jerry Judy, a wide receiver, had a 28-yard reception. How concerned, you know, we know about the defense uh, inability to stop the run well, three of the last four games. But now this is two straight weeks now where we're seeing big plays down the field. Sam, should we be concerned about Severius Ward? You know, he, he seems to be on the bad end of big plays. You know, Traverse Ward's actually had a really good season um, until last week. So uh, the, the, the capability for him to play, particularly the, the press coverage style that they like, like he's a good fit for it. Um, he is a guy that has admittedly, um, uh, by his own admission, uh, let one bad game compound into another. And so I was interested to see how he would respond today. Drew Locke missed Jerry Judy beating Traverius Ward on the first drive of the game. And Vahe talked about the punt return and accurate or the, the roughing the punter and accurately so how that changed the game. You wonder how different the game would be if, if Drew Locke had completed a pass to a wide open Jerry Judy on Ward. Another ball that Drew Locke threw that beats Ward, I think it was the ball to Patrick. Um, best pass he made all day. You know, sometimes you got to give the quarterback some credit for squeezing a ball into a tight window. Um, so, third yeah. level overall, I think Charvarius Ward is still plenty capable applying the job that they're asking him to play. Um, but, you know, he's not going through his best streak right now. And for a guy that, like I said, has admitted that sometimes one bad play can compound into another, I, I do think it's fair to to worry if you're going to get his best outings in the, in the playoffs. Hey, I would just uh, make one other point on that. that, that 30, it was a 31-yard pass, I think, to Patrick. Um, I, I saw a lot of people felt differently on Twitter, but – Sometimes you do just have to tip your cap. I mean, I thought it was a perfect throw by Drew Locke, mm-hmm. and it was right between Sorensen and Ward. And, and it, it, I think people want to want to always have somebody to blame. Sometimes the other guy makes a play, and I, that was inches away from being scraped by either one of those guys. It's just just how it goes sometimes. Yep. But should we be worried going into the playoffs, Dovahe? Given what you know, I know cornerbacks should have a short memory. But now he's got to erase this from coming off of last week. Well, to, to Sam's point, I think that's the interesting sort of psychological aspect of this now, right? I think Ward at his best is pretty decent. It, I don't know if stuff's getting in his head. Um, I wish that our former colleague that we uh, like to talk about but not say his name in case he's watching uh, were around because he's sort of the Charvarius whisperer. I mean, <laughs> there, there was literally nothing Charvarius wouldn't tell him. Uh <laughs> So, but uh, I don't, I don't know if we're going to have that access. <laughs> I don't even know if he, he might just say, we'll get that to you. <laughs> so, so Sam Mellinger, if you're watching, we need to hear from you. I don't see you in the comment section. <laughs> Let's talk about the quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, 27 of 44 for 270 yards, two touchdowns. How impressed were you with this game, knowing that he did not have Tyreek Hill? And he also led the team in rushing, 54 yards rushing after Daryl Williams suffered a toe injury. So how impressive was his game, Sam? Well, I mean, it's particularly impressive when you consider that Vic Fangio defenses have given Patrick Mahomes trouble even this year. I mean, he had what he completed was about 15 out of 29. Is that right, Herbie? The first meeting, which was the second worst completion percentage of his career. Um, Vic Fangio is – as much as the, the topic of the Super Bowl defense that the Chiefs saw overarching to this year was, has been just an ongoing thing, 
it's really Vic Fangio that started all this. I mean, he's played this shell defense long before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did. I think Tampa got a lot of what they did from Vic Fangio because what's what gets lost when you win 13 straight games against a team is that you have one element of your scheme that works pretty well against that team. And that's been what Vic Fangio has done on defense. So I thought Mahomes had one of his better games of the year this year. I think he's playing his best football as the playoffs come. So it's, it's sort of the inverse of what we just talked about with the defense. I don't think there's a better time for Mahomes to go into the playoffs. I don't think there was a better team to play against because they he saw the most difficult type of defense that he's going to see and most likely what he's going to see in the postseason. Vahe, we always hear Patrick after all these postgame press conferences saying that, you know, he, he thinks the best is still yet to come for this offense. What more is there left that, that we need to see out of this offense for, for Mahomes to be uh, to be correct on that? Well, I mean, it, having a full complement at his disposal makes makes a little difference. I mean, you know, they adapted really well without without Tyreek Hill today, basically without him. And I, I you know, I, I'd have to look back at Kelsey's numbers, but I didn't think he was anywhere near as big a factor as he normally would be. It might be just that the Broncos did a good job swamping and swarming him. Um, but I, I think you see another aspect of his maturity here with, you know, force feeding it to Hardman in some ways. I mean, you know, understanding that they're going to be a better team if Hardman can be, be really dependable. It was too bad. There were a couple, it looked like a, probably twice at least there were some communication breakdowns with Pringle. I think Pringle is so close to being a, almost a breakout guy, but that he holds himself back with one or two mistakes in a game. And Hardman had such a history of mistakes and, and uh, you know, butterfingers that that you, you wondered if he was ever going to really kind of get it together or, or at least get uh, get the full trust of the quarterback. I think today fast forwards that a little bit. You agree with that, Pete? Yeah, I thought he looked great, especially the Pringle, the couple plays there with Pringle. That uh, boy, yeah, I don't know that they just got to get on the same page. You know, Patrick's thinking. Patrick's mind is so advanced, I think, in a football sense that you know he's always looking for something specific that the receivers aren't always giving him. I mean that that happens every game with a receiver. I feel like where he's telling a guy he should have gone left or right, you know, or gone deeper. Um, I, I thought he looked great too. You know, there was a couple of vintage Mahomes plays that one where he threw back across the field. That was an incredible play. Uh, I, that's of all the guys on the team. That's one I don't worry about, especially like you mentioned, they don't have Hill. I'm sure that the Broncos put a lot more emphasis on Kelsey and that you take those two guys away. It's going to be a lot more difficult for the offense to look like it normally does. And we do need to talk about Tyreek Hill because this is a fair question from Steve Brock. What is Hill's status moving forward? Sam, what did what did um, Andy tell us post game about what was going on with Tyreek Hill and why he didn't see so much action? Yeah, so he said he felt uh, his his heel uh, some soreness in his heel, which is an injury that he's played through in the past. I mean, two years ago he had that injury. I think three years ago he might have had that injury as well. Um, but said he landed on it in pregame warmups, came to him in warmups and told him about it. I, I do wonder if Tyree Kill would have played his normal allotment of snaps had this been a playoff game. Um, same for Darrell Williams. We saw him on the sideline. You know, it's not like he spent the rest of the game in the locker room. He still had his pads on, still on the sideline. But he also came up lame on the last snap of the first half with the toe injury. And those are two valuable pieces. 
for the Chiefs offense. We don't know what's going to what's ahead for Clyde Edwards-Helaire. We keep hearing he's close, and I do think we could hear um, on Monday or Tuesday that he's going to be practicing this week. But regardless, Daryl Williams still factors into this offense, even if you consider him the backup to Clyde Edwards-Helaire. And I, I think going forward, we might even see him be more of a 50-50 guy if he's healthy. Yeah, and the other thing about Daryl Williams, um, if he all of a sudden if he can't play next week, and if if uh, Edward Jolaire can't play, now the Chiefs are down to Derek Gore and Jarek McKinnon. And I see the, the the comments are saying that Jarek McKinnon did look good, and he did. You know, this is the guy that Sam and I and Vahe we all saw what Jarek McKinnon could do out there at training camp, and he found we finally see it in the game. Why did it take so long for for them to finally get McKinnon into the offense, Vahe? Well, I, I do think, I mean, you guys cr- can correct me on this, but it has been uh, just a matter of getting fully healthy at the right time with, with some snaps available. I mean, that whole combination of things. Um, and, you know, this this was a nice little spotlight moment for him. And that touchdown, I think it was a 14-yard pass. He showed a lot of mm-hmm. what I think you guys in particular uh, thought you saw in him. I mean, he, he's got some some juice and and – He's pretty dynamic, um, and if if they don't get Edwards Elair back, uh, you know, he, I, I think we could see a bit more of him from what he showed today. The other injury of note today, um, at the end of the game, obviously, uh, Travis Kelsey on that first down catch, he came up banged up, and I know a lot of people were concerned because he he was TV cameras caught him limping back to the the locker room area. But Andy Reid specifically said, "No, you know, kind of like gave one of those. No, he's fine." So as of right I, now, I, I, I was a little worried that he said it a little too fast, uh, you know, without, you know, fully embracing the question. Um, but, you know, it, it, I assume I assume he's also accurate. But I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah, because if Kelsey all of a sudden is banged up, now all of a sudden the Chiefs are going into the playoffs uh, kind of limping. <laughs> and that's not what you want. You want to be healthy. And then, but, you know, they came out of this game. With a 28-24 win, they're now 12 and 5. 13 straight wins over the Denver Broncos. As we get ready to wrap up here, Sunday, obviously a huge day for the Chiefs as they figure out who their opponent is. Let's go right around the horn here, and I'm going to start with Sam. We kind of touched on it earlier in the show, but let's let's uh, let's close it out with it. Who is the ideal opponent for the Chiefs in the first round of the playoffs if they don't have the number one seed? Yeah, yeah, because the ideal opponent is nobody. Um, that the Titans win uh, or the Titans lose tomorrow. So, um, like I said, I, I think that crazy scenario where the Steelers get in would, would would be their best, but that's such a low percentage. I, I feel like it's cheating to even mention that one. So, I, I think you're picking between the two most likely scenarios: the Chargers and the Colts. And which one of those two teams is more likely? I think the Chargers have. We've got evidence that that's a difficult matchup for the Chiefs, and so I think just by process of elimination there. I'm going to say that I think they would rather see the Colts than the Chargers. Why? I like that thinking, and I, I, and I think that's right. We know, and, and Sam has pointed this out before, both on this and in print, I think that, um, you know, this this quarterback matchup with the Chargers has the makings of of kind of a classic for over the, the three times they've met, three times, I guess, right, or four, three, that they've played each other. And um, I, I think that the Chargers think they, they – actually have the Chiefs, uh, not the Chiefs number, but that they they know they can beat the Chiefs and not just know that, but have demonstrated it. So I, 
I think if you had your choice, you'd, you'd roll the dice against the Colts. Pete? Yeah, I'm going to ask you, Justin Herbert or Carson Wentz? And I know the Colts have um, Taylor, uh, right? Running back? Yeah, yep. yeah Jonathan yeah. Taylor, yeah. Sorry, blanking on his name there for a second. But, you know, this is a quarterback league, and, and I feel like, I yeah, you want to you want to face the Colts. And the other X factor here is the game's going to be at Arrowhead, so I think that's going to give them a distinct advantage. They've played a lot better at home than they have on the road. Yeah, and, you know, so it's it's unanimous. I, I think if the Chiefs had their pick, if they are the number two seed, and with the two likely scenarios for their opponents, it's got to be the Colts. You know, Jonathan Taylor is an all-world running back, but a lot of the running that he does is in a, a nice, confined indoor facility up there in Indianapolis. Get him outdoors. Let's see what happens. And and you're right. Carson Wentz or Justin Herbert, I think that's a no-brainer. You got to take Justin Herbert. Excuse me. You got to take Carson Wentz. So a lot of stuff going on tomorrow. We'll know for sure who the Chiefs will play uh, at the end of the night. And so we'll, the schedule will come out. We'll know what their seed is. But I know like the rest of us, we're going to be tuned in, especially to that Houston Texans-Tennessee Titans game. Uh, and, you know, hey, if, if the Texans somehow pull out a win, we're off next week, guys. <laughs> if the Titans do win, though, then, hey, we're going to be working and we'll figure out if we're working Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Uh, maybe it's a Monday night game. Hey, prime time, right? But, hey, for everyone, for, for my colleagues, Vahe Gregorian, the former, now that we know, a college football Hall of Fame <laughs> sports reporter, <laughs> Sam McDowell, Pete Gradhoff, and for our producer, Monty in the back, I'm Herbie Teopia. This is the Kansas City Star, and you watch Sports Beat Live.